So this is the conclusion of my three-part series, which is really on Christian foundations or Christian basics. So we, we've been working through one scripture, in fact, which is Acts 2.38, which says, <clears throat> which is on the back of the first preaching of the gospel in Acts chapter 2 uh, to a, a large crowd of thousands, and, and this crowd responds. Actually, they say, what should we do? What should we do to be saved? What should we do to respond to this message? What should we do as we realize we crucified Jesus who is the Lord of glory and actually died to forgive us our sins? How do we respond? Because we're the ones that nailed him to the tree and now we found out that was the biggest mistake in history. How do we respond? And uh, Peter says, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So over, over this series, we've talked about repent. And because it's foundational, this isn't something you do once. This is something that's part of our life as believers is a pattern of repentance. We talked about being baptized literally by immersion in water, which baptisms are coming up next week. And we're very excited. We've got some of our children, some of our youth, and an adult getting baptized next week. Now, that's something you do once, but affects you ongoing. And we, we, we explained how, how it, 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 it is sacramental power. When you get baptized in the Spirit, you enter into Jesus' baptized in water. You enter into Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, not just as a form, as a copy, or as a representation, but you actually enter into it in a spiritual, in a sense, mystical way, and it affects your life, and you receive something, you're, you are dead, and now you're alive. And, and this sort of formula, if you like, that, that, that Peter gives us as he's preaching, then ends with this, this crucial statement, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and, and that's what we want to talk about today. Now, our phrase for that is baptism in the Spirit. And remember, baptize. Anybody remember what the word baptize means? Because it's just a religious word. But sink, immerse, plunge, dip, all of those words. So when we use that word, think, baptize, equals immersion. Uh, is that okay? Are we, are we on the same page? Good. So... If we look at the context of what has just happened, he actually goes on to say that you're going to receive what we receive, this promise that you're, because they gathered to this outpouring, which we'll look at in a minute, this promise is for you and your children and to all who are far off, this promise, not a different one, not a watered down version, not a a tamer version, this promise. Um, And so what, what, what is he talking about? So if you've got your Bibles in electronic form or paper form, really helpful if you can follow this as it's not going to appear behind me. Uh, so let's go back to chapter 1 of Acts. So that's the scripture we've been landing on and, and working through is in chapter 2. Chapter 1 is, is really some of Jesus' last words on the earth so he's been resurrected but he's spent 40 days with his disciples in his resurrected form and he's I would really I would really love 
a transcript of what he actually said, but we don't have that. We just have a few pointers. And the pointers we have must be important because they're the only things we do have, okay? And, and, and this is what he says to them. And, and, and while staying with them, this is verse 4 of chapter 1, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So this thing, this receiving the Spirit, gets called a number of different things. It says, wait for the promise of the Father. And he's already taught them about the promise of the Father. If you go back to John 14, he talks about when this promise comes. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized. Remember, you will be immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then, and then if you read down, he says, in verse 8, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. The word dunamis, where we get dynamite from, many of you know that. And then he gets taken up before them. He's, he's, he ascends to the glory with the Father. And they're going, hey guys, what do we do now? That's my translation, paraphrase. And they have the bright idea of praying. So verse 14 says, all, with, all with one accord they devoted themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and mother of Jesus and his brothers. And that's important in terms of already the equality that's there in Scripture is the men and women are together seeking God for the promise that has been given. There's not this exclusion which was in their culture of the women from this process. This is the new era of equality that Jesus has initiated. And uh, so there is not the main point of this message by any means but it's a good point Acts Acts 1 they are one accord devoting themselves to prayer that's really they have a promise which is you're going to receive the promise of the father not many days from now you're going to receive power not many days from now just as John immersed you in water you're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit And he also says to them actually earlier in the book of John, he says, the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. You're already aware of him because he's around you. And of course he's around them because Jesus had the Holy Spirit beyond measure. Do you remember that? And they're around Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's around Jesus. They're around Jesus. They're going to see the activity of the Spirit and sense the activity of the Spirit. But he's saying, you know him because he's with you, but soon he's going to be in you. So there they are, they're all praying. They're like, we don't know what else to do. <laughs> and he'd given them this, I think he'd given them a big build-up for this thing. And I've already alluded to some of it. One of the verses in John 14 says, on that day, the day I, he said, he's basically trying to convince them in John 14 that it's better that he goes and that he sends the Spirit, which is really hard for materialists to believe that a Spirit is better than a person. And so Jesus is trying to convince them that the Spirit coming to them is better than him being with them in person. And they're struggling with this idea, but he explains that 
on that day that they receive the Spirit, they'll know this mystical, mysterious, powerful thing, which is that he is in them and they are in the Father. Which is really difficult to know because the Father is in Jesus, Jesus is in the Father, and then we'll know that we're in them and that they're in us. Which doesn't make much sense to us, does it? Like we're in this building, but the building isn't in us. Thank God. So we understand being in something. We understand when we eat food that it's in us. But unless we're small children, it's not on us. Whereas what this is saying is that that day we will know that he's in us and on us and all around us. And the critical thing is it's that day when the spirit is given. So this is part of Jesus' build-up. Something's going to happen and you're going to know. It's the promise of the Father and they get in some understanding of who the Father is. This, you know, this is Heavenly Father. It's not like, well, this is all I could afford. I got told off the other day for buying cheap flowers for the people that gave us dinner. I was not representing the Father well. I did. I just... This is not that, Teresa's very like, this is not our heart, dear. I'm like. I still am, I'm still in deep repentance. That was not a gift from the father, right? He's not like, £3.50 from Tesco flowers. Thank you for your lovely meal. They did get other stuff as well, but I'm still, still working on the repentance, okay? This is the gift of the Father who is good without measure. Big build-up, hey? It's not a gift from Andy Merrick. You invite around for a meal. Here's the flowers. The gift of the Father. <clears throat> and you will receive power. I mean, that, that, they understood that was a big deal. Because they'd moved in power already and they see Jesus move in incredible power. And they'd also been commissioned by him to do the works that he did and greater works. So they're like, we need power. If you know your assignment and you know it's beyond you, you know you need something beyond you to achieve the thing that's beyond you. It's designed to create hunger, not frustration. So if you're not doing the works that Jesus was doing, and you know you should, you could get disappointed or frustrated, or you could get hungry. You get hungry for the thing you promised, which isn't doing the works, but receiving the power so that you then do the works. And sometimes we get frustrated and disappointed rather than hungry. Just that's a freebie. And the thing I want to point out, so here they are praying, and what they have is this mega build up promise but they're seeking the promise they're praying for a fulfillment of a promise and they don't know what that's going to look like so because we read the bible we can kind of read back but they're 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 just walking through time as we walk through time and they're like jesus has given them a promise something is to come that's going to be the promise of the father they're going to realize that they're in the father and the father's in them and jesus is in them and all that amazing stuff they're going to receive power but they and they and they've probably got some awareness in the old testament that there was a promise of a coming of the spirit so they're like we don't know what it looks like we know we need it he's told us to stay not go pray Pray, 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 pray. 
pray. Is it here yet? No. And then I think they maybe get, I don't know, they get bored, but think, oh, there's only 11 of us and there was 12, so they elect another apostle to join the 12. Then we get to chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, so they're all together in one place, it says, which is probably still the upper room, although there's some debate about that. So this is the, they've been, remember, they're seeking the promise. But for the promise to come, the day the promise arrives has got to somehow look different to the day before when it hadn't come. But they don't know what different looks like, they just know different it will be. And their focus is the, the hunger for the promise seeing Jesus fulfill his word and they've got faith for that because they've seen him do it over and over again. Happy, happy so far. So Acts 2 verse 1 through 4 gets exciting. So the day of Pentecost now says has fully come they're all together in one place and the first thing that happens that is unusual that marks this day of days is the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Just saying, that's what it says. The sound. It doesn't say there was a wind. The sound, there was a sound like a wind. And then it says the spirit comes amongst them and there's fire in the room. Yeah. There's a visible fire in the room that's not burning them up. So this, they would know about the burning bush. They know their Old Testament. They were like, this is like the burning bush. And they were seeing fire on one another. So the fire was not in a bush, the fire was on them. And they weren't, you know, they weren't being toasted. They were being toasted in a different kind of a way. So there's audible, there's visible And then they start to speak in languages that they've not learned. They start to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And later we see the crowd that gathers hears their own language being spoken by many of these disciples were not well educated in the sense of they wouldn't have learned all these different languages. They got them spontaneously, supernaturally by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know from the onlookers' account that their behavior was the behavior of people that had rolled out of the pub at 11 p.m., although it was only 9 a.m. So they accuse them of being drunk, and Peter's response is, these people are not drunk as you suppose. So he's not denying that they're inebriated, he's just saying it's not coming from where you think, because it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Are you following me? So this, this is just, I'm just looking at the text. This is what it says. There was a sound that was a mighty sound, like a rushing, rushing wind. There was visible fire that didn't consume them, but was visible to all of them. There was a speaking in other languages that they hadn't learned in school and had no knowledge of. It was a supernatural utterances flowing out of them that was comprehensible and comprehensible to those that came. And their behavior looked intoxicated, even though it was first thing in the morning. This was the four elements of the day they've been waiting for. 
And, and I've studied this a lot, and I can't find anywhere in the Old Testament that says, when that day comes, this is what will happen. So they didn't, Peter didn't have a little checklist on his iPhone going, yeah, well, when we get the rushing wind sound, that's the first one. When we get, when we get fire, that's the second one. When we, get, when we get speaking in tongues, that's the third one. We only need one more. That is, we all look plastered. Then we know it's the day of the promise of the Father. He didn't have that on his iPhone. I know he didn't have an iPhone, but if he had on his parchment. They did have Old Testament knowledge, which this is where we struggle. See, they didn't have a problem with weird. They knew their old covenant. They, they honored the days of Moses when God led them through the wilderness with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. They're like, that was cool. Bring on the fire. They're like, we want fire. They knew Ezekiel, who was lifted by his hair off the ground by the Holy Spirit. They knew the weird prophet stuff, like Jeremiah, who prophesied wearing dirty underpants, that God had told him to bury and get dirty on purpose. It's a child's favorite verse, isn't it? So they're, they're, they're marinated in this knowledge. They know that God does weird. They know about Saul, who, who was this certain person, but when the Spirit came on him, he became a different person. They, they, know, they know about David who danced with all his might before the Lord. Again in his underpants, another great scripture for your children. Well, it's not, it, it's not a direct translation from the Hebrew. It doesn't equal underpants, but it is undergarments. So I'm not stretching the truth too far. So they have this rich history of fire and clouds and weird stuff and weird prophets. And suddenly they are being baptized in what, this is our perspective now. They wouldn't be thinking weird. It's us who think weird. We go, oh, that's weird. I hope that doesn't happen here. But Jesus had so trained them that they could know past the phenomena excuse that word, phenomena or manifestations, past the fire and the, the sound, they passed all of that. Oh, this is the Holy Spirit. Because they knew the Holy Spirit and now he was showing up this way. What they were looking for was the Holy Spirit, not the stuff. They could detect, they didn't react to the stuff. Do you see what I mean? So many Christians I meet, they're reacting to the stuff. I'll give you an example of a, a priest in a European nation not long ago. Let's put it that way. Not, not this nation and uh, I, I was with Simon and Simon prayed for me and the Saturday night talk just before I got up to do the talk Simon prayed for me and I got completely mangled in the Holy Spirit I was I was like I was a bit like Seth was I was like which doesn't happen to me all the time but I was like oh, I can't read my notes I'm swaying around the, the thing and I'm slurring my words it was obvious to everybody that that and, and I, I, I barely stand I could just about function and then I start getting these words going in front of my eyes and it's like the Holy Spirit forget the notes just say what's going on here so I was like that's about all I can do so there's this, this group of people in this European nation looking at me and, and, and I did, did the best I could do under the circumstances 
And at the end of it, the leadership had a horrendous time. I don't know, maybe a third of the people. This guy's a complete heretic. So the next day, I did a fabulous job of exegeting the whole of Luke 15. And suddenly, I was a spiritual hero. In one thing, that sums up the Western church response often to the Holy Spirit. So (laughs) we've got to get back to a place where these apostles and disciples were and not our sophisticated view of what isn't isn't kosher from the Holy Spirit. Is that making sense? Because I'm getting extra oomph for this point. All right, this is, this is coming. This is coming. We get entangled with this phenomena. We end up looking at the phenomena. We end up thinking, why isn't the phenomena happening to me and it's happening to them? The focus is completely wrong. The focus is him. We want the promise. We want his promises. We want his power. That's the focus. How he comes is not the point. But then when phenomena happens, we go like, ooh, is it God? Ooh, it can't be God. Ooh, it's weird. And we're reacting to the externals and not discerning what the Spirit is doing. All right? But the early apostles judged whether people were getting saved by the phenomena. So if you go through Acts 10 and 11, which is a very controversial moment in the development of the early church because Peter preaches to the Gentiles and they haul him up before the others when he goes back. Well, what are you doing telling the Gentiles? But his, his excuse was, when I saw them receiving the Spirit just as we did. <laughs> Something happened that he could see and I suspect it wasn't a carbon copy of what happened, but I suspect it had the same elements. So there's a principle of interpreting scripture, which is first mentioned, gives you the blueprint, gives you the outline, gives you the principles of everything that will follow on. So here we have the first outpouring of this kind, the first baptism, the giving of the promise of the Father, and it's got sound, it's got intoxication, it's got speaking in tongues, it's got fire, and I suspect that many, if not all of those elements in their own way are represented in the experience in, in, in Acts 10 of the Gentiles who receive the Spirit. Do you see? You see it again in Acts 4 where they pray again to be filled. Now God's kind of got a variety so this time he shakes the building and they all start to prophesy I'll settle for that <laughs> the rejection of spirit phenomena or spirit manifestation <laughs> is it funny when you can say phenomena and not the other word it is sadly common and explains one of the reasons that Western Europe has not experienced as much revival. Let, let me just, just, I'm going to say this somehow or other, I'm going to say this point because we, we need to hear this. Um, 
I'm old enough to have known a pastor, just follow the logic, to have known a pastor who knew a woman who was alive in the Welsh revival and had a conversation with her. This, this is the first time I heard this, this is years ago. And there was this woman and her daughter and the Welsh revival was in 1904 and it was, it was amazing and it was particularly affecting the miners who would meet late at night, early in the morning and they would get so joy-filled that them, them days they had, their working boots had uh, nails in, hobnail boots, that they would dance with their boots on, on the pews. And you'd see them with tears down their faces running, running like rivers through the coal marks on their face. And in that season, between one and 200,000 people came to Christ within two years. And they would wave their hankies in the air and they'd, they'd probably mark the pews forever with their, with their boots. So this, this woman heard, had been praying for revival for South Wales, heard about this and went one night with her daughter to see, or one morning to see the revival meeting and opened the door and saw this spectacle and decided that this was not revival and shut the door and left and revival passed her and her family by. She looked at the phenomena said it wasn't God and missed out. <clears throat> I was talking to um, oh, Nathaniel who was here from uh, Paris. So a French man was here last weekend, friend of ours. And I know a little bit of French church history but the Huguenots were the revival movement in France, but they were brutally oppressed. Within two or three days, over 100,000 were killed. Eventually, they were expelled from the nation. And in the late 17th century, there was a rejection of all the phenomena that accompanied this revival group. They were highly prophetic. But the state church and the state rejected the move of God wholesale. And France really has never spiritually been the same. It's highly secularized. <clears throat> in, in Holland, during the first great awakening, so somewhere around the 1740s, when England and Scotland and the US had been affected by the preaching of Wesley and Whitfield. Whitfield preached to 30,000 people just down the road at Canvas Lang for three days of, of breaking bread. I've been there, it's an amazing. This was called the First Great Awakening and it was accompanied by phenomena. If you read Wesley's journals, there was great joy. People fell out of trees. People fell to the ground. There was, there was, there was laughter. There was all kinds of things. And he just said he wanted it all to go on. This was happening in America. This was happening in different parts of the world. It started to happen in Holland and the state church made a declaration because of the phenomena that this wasn't God. Our nations have had many revivals since 1740. Not, Holland had none, other than one, which was a visit of T.L. Osborne in 1958, where he did a, a, a healing outreach in The Hague. And people were, that, that was the, the, the spark for many of the Pentecostal churches in the Netherlands. It was such a serious matter that a whole bunch of them got together 
probably four or five years ago now, met in Neekirk, which is a town where this declaration was made and rescinded the declaration and they had Jesus culture in. You got thousands of people, leaders, and just said, this is not what we stand for. And I believe that's opening the door for God to move in that nation again. That's serious, isn't it? It just locked the nation up for hundreds of years. Similarly, France. The worst one was probably after the Azusa Street Revival. So that was in 1906, which the spark point was in Los Angeles in a kind of, it was a church building which became a stable which got converted to a church building. People came from all around the world and this revival spread known as the Pentecostal revival. People were speaking in tongues. There was other phenomena. There, there was healings and this sparked all around the world. It happened in Sunderland. It happened in many, many places. It started to happen in Germany and the state church rejected it and made public declaration by high-ranking officials that this was not God. And the same thing happened in Germany. In fact, there are historians that would tell you the reasons we have a First World War was because of that. And similarly, historians will tell you there was, that Britain was on the verge of a revolution like the French Revolution, which was a bloody revolution, but it didn't happen because of the first Great Awakening through Wesley and Whitfield. The similar issues were arising, but there was, there was a a spiritual awakening that averted public uprising. Others say that the fruit of the Welsh revival, all those thousands of men that got saved in 1903 were slaughtered on the, the fields of France. David's wife, Michael, despised his dancing before the Lord. And he says to her, I'll become even more undignified than this. So he was not, he was not kind of proper. He was, he, he, you know, as we already said, he was also in his underpants in public as the king. Michael despised him. And the Bible records that she became barren after that point. That's the history of Western Europe. I've studied revivals. Every revival I've studied is accompanied by phenomena and the phenomena divide. It's the same here in Acts 2. There's a bunch of people go, oh, this is, this is, at least they get inquisitive and others just say they're just crazy people. You have to make your mind up. Somewhere we have to make our mind up that we're okay with God coming however he wants to come. The rejection of phenomena by the church is one of the biggest things that makes the church impotent. Because the power comes with power. The fire comes with fire. The wind comes with wind. The presence of the Spirit without anything obvious happening is like going to a wedding and there's no party or having a birthday with no presents. It's unthinkable. Every revival, everything God does in Scripture is accompanied by 
we would tend to call crazy stuff, but it just is normal. So I, I want to I just, I'm so glad that we are learning not to be like that. I'm so glad that our heart is to embrace God and what he does and not be phased by how he does it and what it looks like. And what tends to happen is, say, say this morning something happens with a person over there or 10 people over there and it's not happening to us, our Western mindset goes, ooh, ooh, that's not, either that's weird, I'm not sure I want it, or that's weird and I want it, but why isn't it happening to me? And all of it is about observing the external and not discerning the spirit. And it lands on our insecurities and we're learning not to be like that. Our passion is for his face, his presence, however he wants to be, however he wants to come. And if 10 people get totally mangled and I don't, but that's his presence and I discern that, hallelujah. I know that it, the flesh can kick in. I know that you can have copycat behavior. I know that you can have learned behavior. I know that it can be the devil. All of that is absolutely true. But if you stop the whole thing, you stop his thing. I would rather us as leaders have to process the stuff that maybe isn't quite right than shut everything down so we have nothing. That's a leadership job, I believe. I've prayed for people at the front of meetings, you know, and people go down and, and there's something in that that I carry. I've prayed for people who've gone down and I've known it's not the Holy Spirit. Well, it didn't stop. I just thought that person needs deliverance. We'll deal with that later. Are you with me? Are, are we, let's sort of recommit our hearts to phenomena because I want, I want, and as a team, we want our children who are getting baptized next week and our youth who are getting baptized next week to come into the fullness of everything promised in these scriptures. Not watered down or diluted or cautious, but they get, they repent, they're getting baptized and that they receive the work of the Spirit. And already last week, some of them got prayed for by Seth, and it was amazing. They got mangled by God. They were, they were overwhelmed. Yes! Our children are going to receive the Spirit. This is for the old and for the young. This is for everything. They don't grow into this. Oh, they're not old enough for that. Yeah, they are. Well, I'm not sure that... You know, it's not like what we do with our kids with television... Do you know, it's important that we don't just let them watch anything at a certain age. With the Holy Spirit, we want them to have everything as soon as possible. Well, they're not, no, they're ready. They're more ready perhaps than I am. More ready than I am for them to be ready. Come on, parents, let's get honest. I want my grandkids full of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, raising the dead, doing better than me. But let's not despise the phenomena because some of them are going to look weird to you and I. Let's get that out of our thinking and out of our vocabulary and start blessing things that God does however, however they look. Are, are we okay? Are we still, we're still all right. We're still comfortable. All right. Well, uncomfortably comfortable. We have prophetic words as a church that it, coming here will be better than going to the pub. We have prophetic words over us that people will see fire on the building and come in. But that means that the people in there have to be happy with fire and the people in there have to be happy with intoxication. 
It's fundamental, isn't it? Like, it would be a complete cheat if people saw fire and came inside and there is no fire. I actually believe what I'm talking about in this generation is a major apostolic job. I think Jesus trained his disciples to discern the spirit well and not be put off by the phenomena, whatever they were. Um, So we're here to seek the promise of God and we want it for our kids and we want it for our children's children. We want it for our youth. We want it for us. We want it for our babies. We want the promise of God, the Father, to baptize us all in the Holy Spirit. And if it's never happened to us, there's the time. And if it's already happened to us, you can, double dipping is encouraged in Scripture. Be being filled, not be filled and then forget about it. All right, that's, that's what it says in Ephesians. And some people say to me, well, what about the balance of word and spirit? Pursuing balance is death. Our goal is not to be balanced. Our goal is to be extremely passionate about the Holy Spirit and extremely passionate about Scripture. I believe I'm teaching you the Scripture, all right? Which makes us be passionate for the Holy Spirit who inspired the Scripture. There's some kind of weird thinking about, well, you've got to be balanced. Well, balance comes from pursuing, if you like, the clear revelations of God, even if they appear to us to be out of balance or in conflict. If your body was balanced, you wouldn't be able to sit in the chair. Your whole body's alive and works because you've got tension. Tension holds things together. That's a message for another time. So what happens? Okay, we've got five minutes. So we've cooked a lot, if you like, about the phenomena that accompany this. But really, what, what's actually going on? What's the spiritual essential of this thing and there's an eternal reality to this and I just want to unpack for you one scripture which helps us which is Ephesians 1.13 which says in him you also so this is referring to what happened to them when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit were sealed the coming of the spirit seals us the baptism in the spirit seals us and ready for a bit of Greek stay sober long enough to do the Greek the, the, the Greek word studies that I use says this that this word seal means properly to seal or affix with a signet ring or other instrument to stamp to attest ownership authorizing and validating what is sealed. So you know these rings that make a seal onto wax that says this is really from me and this is the authentic thing. That, that's one meaning of this word. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. It signifies ownership, the full security carried by the backing or the full authority of the owner. Sealing in the ancient world served as a legal signature which guaranteed the promise or contents of what was sealed. Sealing was sometimes done in antiquity by the use of religious tattoos, again signifying belonging to. Sealing with the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Spirit is God's tattoo on you. It's his mark of ownership, but it's also his mark of authorization. So pull this together. What's meant to happen here is number one is you get assurance. You know that you are his. Not because you're mentally persuaded, but you are so marked by the work of the Spirit. Without it, it's not up for intellectual discussion. It's not down to how you feel. It's not down to other people's opinions. You are marked and you are done. It's for access. The Holy Spirit gives us access to all the resources of our inheritance. All the Trinitarian goodies are ours by the Holy Spirit. We, are, we, are, we have access and we have authorization to access them and use them. We are authorized to do because we've received power. So that's my other A, authorization. So assurance, access, authorization, and affirmation. This confirms who you really are. This is my wedding ring. And this is gold. Do you know how it's, I know it's gold? Because it's got some little things stamped inside it. Sometimes we struggle with our identity. When the Holy Spirit stamps you, God's saying, you're gold, I approve. Well, I'm nothing. No, you're gold. The Holy Spirit proves it. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're seated in heavenly places. You're the real deal for this generation. My Holy Spirit is putting that mark of authorization upon you. You are hallmarked. Yeah, well, I'm not sure I believe it. Well, how many in this room are struggling to believe I have a gold ring? Actually, whether you believe it or not makes no difference. It's gold. I don't care if you believe it. It's marked. I know it's true. It's really easy for me to believe it's gold. At times we struggle to believe because we don't remember the mark or we've not yet been marked. Okay. There's always more. I think some years ago I did eight week series on this topic so there is always more but, but I think I just want to land two things <clears throat> tongues is a normal outflow I mean you don't have to speak in tongues but all through the New Testament tongues is an outflow speaking in tongues and how this is administered sometimes there's this sovereign move sometimes God just in the room but Often, often through Acts, you see them laying on of hands. And there's a transference of Holy Spirit power through the laying on of hands. See that in Acts 8, there's not time to unpack that more. But actually, Hebrews tells us that there's a doctrine of laying on of hands. It's put alongside the doctrine of the resurrection and put alongside the doctrine of repentance. So when I lay hands on somebody, something happens. It's, I am being friendly, but there's an impartation. And we want to see our young people baptized in the Spirit. We need to lay hands on them. My kids don't know this, but they'd be in bed. They'd get, their, get hands laid on them. I'd lay, we'd lay hands on their bedstead. We'd speak in tongues over them. 
when they're fast asleep. Lay hands on your children. And something happens to you as you. I think it's Andy who's talking. Oh, I just got this fire inside me this morning. So, well, give it away. So, let's let's stand and let's welcome Holy Spirit. So we we will be doing more laying on of hands. That's important to note. Um, thank you Hope Church for wanting the promise of God thank you for not being put off by phenomena thank you for us being on this journey of learning not to call it weird and to receive God's normal 